Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Pace. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. With me today, DJ Mark. What's up? Also with me, Kid Presentable. Tagging in for Mr. Michael Sanchez. Yeah, no Lavender Gooms with us today. Guys, the rumors are true. There's a big fucking rift in the It's M Amazing crew. So some weeks it's just going to be Mark and Steph here with me. You hate Mike. And Mike's on the other side. It's just, you know, it's like a real Kramer versus Kramer situation. And I'm the divorced child in the middle being used as a pawn. It's just, it's a, it's a real, you know, it's a rough look. Um, You're our audience's constant. Okay. You are the constant. AKA the guy who knows how to record. Um, Guys, yeah, Mike's uh, not with us this week. Uh, not he's traveling at the moment. Uh, right now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, gonna miss the show this week. But we should have him back next week. Um, and on a podcast, I'll probably have a little bit more MMA than this one because this one's gonna have a lot of E3 in it. Mark, uh, Mark yeah. we sent Mark on assignment to E3. E3 standing for the electronics. And then two, uh, and then uh, two other E's. Electronic Entertainment Expo. Man, I knew Expo too. I should have just taken a flyer <laughs> and entertainment. I should have taken a flyer and entertainment. A flyer and entertainment because I'm like, it's Expo. Well, then, 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 I don't know. And I, honestly, I was thinking, I'm just like, where's the fucking like? I'm like, there's no word for gaming in here. I'm like, what word? For, is there no E? In, uh, okay, I'm just gonna back off and just go with that, electronics. Exactly. Um, yeah, Marcus uh, got all the scoops from E3 that you know while you were out there just trying to read random twitter twitter notices from E3 Mark got all the shit. He's going to summarize all the relevant stuff that happened not just, you know, when one of your friends tells you Banjo Kazooie's coming back and he fucks up and he really meant was it just going to be a character in Smash Brothers. I'm talking to you Stefan. Got me all excited about a Banjo Kazooie game that's just not coming for Switch. <laughs> I didn't say Banjo Kazooie game was coming. I said he's in Smash. You said Banjo Kazooie's on Switch. It's obviously Smash. Bro. No, you could have said Smash. You said Switch. <laughs> um, before we go on, I'll take a moment here as the resident shit talker, uh, uh, ba- uh basketball wise about my beloved Golden State Warriors. Uh, those of you who don't give a shit, this will take about a minute. So look at the traffic. Enjoy yourself. Um, Golden State Warriors, my team, Stefan's team. Mark doesn't care, but it's his team too. Um, we went down in the NBA Finals. We lost Kevin Durant to a torn Achilles. We lost Clay Thompson to a torn ACL. Everybody looked like they needed a Gatorade and some orange slices when the game was over, when the final game was over. Toronto Raptors, world champions. Let me say this. Nothing anybody says can hurt me. It can't be done because, motherfucker, I was a Warrior fan my entire life. Meaning, I remember when we won 17 games. I remember that shit. And let me tell you, people getting hurt sucks. Losing sucks. Losing seven, Winning 17 games in an 82-game season, way fucking worse. Way worse. So that was rock bottom. Our player, one of our players choking the other coach might have been rock bottom. Me and my roommate Drew, I was talking about this last week on the podcast, sitting 
in some $40 seats that were way too good for $40, while Kelvin Cato hung 33 points and 20 boards on us, while a guy in a Rockets jersey five rows back kept screaming, you can't stop Cato, was worse than this. So I can't be hurt. And we'll be back. Maybe next year we just take the whole season off. Steph goes and golfs with OBZ while everybody else heals up. But, you know, we'll be back the year after that. I, I want to say as someone who doesn't really follow basketball, I was just like, Toronto Raptors? Huh? They're good now? That's cool. It I was like, a surprise to everybody, Marcus. I, I like it. I like it when these teams I always just universally think is shitty, as the Warriors once were, just like come to prominence. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're the best team. I was like, oh, I did not. Wouldn't have guessed Toronto Raptors were ever going to make a play. So good on them. Good, good win, guys. Mark, you probably don't remember this, but um, the last Warriors game you attended with us was against the Toronto Raptors. I- don't even remember going to a Warriors You game. wouldn't remember I this? I remember this. I had a girlfriend at the time who uh, went with us to the game in the illusion that she was a basketball fan. But really, it was just to chew me out the whole game for not hanging out with her enough. Yeah. Maybe I, that distracted you. I don't remember that at all. But I'm sure it was a Raptors game, and I'm sure they sucked then. But they're great now. Why do you think we had such good cheap tickets, Mark? Raptors were no good. I, I mean, honestly, there, so. yeah, uh, good cheap tickets was a theme for a long time. Oh, now I do, because didn't we see, like, oh, there's that's where Drew's dad sits. And he has, like, yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> okay. okay, now it's coming back to me. Um, all right, but yeah, um, we continue now to MMA news. Um, first off, um, Bellator happened. Marcus Roy McDonald looks like he cares a little bit more, but going to decision with Neiman Gracie really wasn't what you wanted to see, huh? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I, I don't think any of us saw this event, right? It was on the zone. It's kind of slim pickings for us to, to see these ones, but I watched highlights, right? And I didn't get a lot from the Rory McDonald highlights. It looks like it was fairly competitive. Yeah. So he definitely didn't steamroll, uh, Gracie here. And on the scorecard, it kind of reflects that, right? And one, he had it, uh, 49 to 46. The two other judges had it 48 to 47. So this definitely seems like it was a strongly contested match and i think we're just starting to see rory just kind of struggling a little bit more than we thought he would right i i think we at least for myself i'll just speak for myself i thought when he went to welterweight he'd be kind of steamrolling guys and he's definitely struggling a little do you um i guess like the whole thing about him finding god really had an impact on him compounded with his child being born i mean steph we were talking about it with uh dad Cerrone, where a lot of guys like they have a kid and it definitely has an impact on them. Some of them view it as like, "Hey, I gotta go get, I gotta go get some big ass fights, get paid, all these things." And then other guys, it almost kind of softens them a little bit. Like, "Man, I gotta get out of this, well, so I can, you know, play with this kid." You know what I mean? It's kind of you go one of two ways when you're a fighter. Definitely. I mean, you just have different focuses. You know, um, I gotta believe Rory seems like a smart dude. You gotta be aware of like quality of life, right? Um, I think we're seeing a lot of football players who are retiring a lot earlier. Than they probably were a decade ago, maybe two decades ago. You know, guys retiring retiring at thirty years old in the prime of life, just because they know what a violent profession they're in. And now that they got kids, they think, "I want to be there for my kids. I want to be there in the long run." Um, so it's definitely possible. Uh, I can't also help but think, just Rory's war with Robbie, that takes a part of your soul, man. Um, I talk about career altering knockouts and career altering fights. There's just a point where. You know, it, not that Rory necessarily ever physically broke, but after going through that war, maybe that contributes to everything else we've been talking about, right? Like, you're right, man. He, it doesn't look like he's really come back all the way from that. Um, real quick, uh, the zone. We all, I was talking to you about this, Stefan. Um, and Marcus, your thoughts on this as well. This twenty dollars a month versus a hundred dollars for a year, shit. Uh, 
they they gotta get me at like ten bucks or something and let me like maybe get like a ten dollars a month thing and I commit for three months or something because twenty dollars is a lot of money when I don't know what Bellator is gonna be doing every month. I, and I think, and no free trial is also another part of this where I'm like, what are we doing? I think it's really interesting you bring this up, Bob, because I was literally just talking about this with Steph. And I think part of it, because what I'm hearing from you is you're starting to get compelled to be interested in maybe paying for DAZN. I can concur. I've been getting more interested in paying for DAZN. And, and what I want to allude them to, what they've been doing really well, um, is they've been lighting up my fucking YouTube feed like a motherfucker with shit I'm interested in. I watched... Tyson Fury's fight, uh, this uh, which I think happened on the zone this past week, and I think that might have been a pay per view, though, right, Bobby? I can't imagine that one. Was. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, noted homophobe and heavyweight but, champion Tyson Fury did fight on the zone. But every every week, every weekend, I'm basically seeing all of these YouTube videos they're showing with boxing matches, and I'm just like, I'm getting more intrigued. I'm like, okay, let me check out this clip, and I was like, oh, this these boxing matches are kind of cool. You know, they have Bellator, and I was and I was talking to stuff like I'm kind of slowly getting sold. And then stuff was like, oh, I'm not going to pay for that shit. And then I looked it up, Bobby, and I had the same reaction that you did. I was thinking, like, well, this is 10. I'm interested. When I saw it was 20, I was like, oh, that's yeah. way too a spicy of a meatball for me to, 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 to chomp down on. And then they do have a year thing, but that's a big commitment. It is $100, so it's a long commitment. It's a lot of money up front. So I agree with you, Bobby. It is. It's well, give me a free trial. trial, right, man? You got to do a free. If you're going to put a, a one-year commitment on there, you got to give me an out or something. I like, mean. I'm not too mad at that, just because that free trial is not something I would plan to renew. They might get me for a month just because I'm lazy about canceling. But I'm going to tell you now, Mark was talking to me earlier, I'm going to tell you both. I'm going to be the deep holdout on this one. I know you're asking like if it comes to multiple like devices. Um, I'm talking to both of you about this. I'm a little salty. Fool me once was one too many, Bellator. You charged me for this New York City pay-per-view where you trotted out old man Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva. Even the guys who were supposed to be good went to snoozer decisions. Like, old man Fedor showed up just to go down from one punch. Like, oh my god. Marcus. I have never been so angry at a pay-per-view I got coerced into paying money for. And I'm like, Bellator has never been worth my money in pay-per-view. How the hell did you get me for this one, guys? Marcus, this kid here during your conversation starts asking me like, "When did we order that Bellator pay per view? What was on it?" And I'm like looking it up. I'm like, two years ago, we paid fifty dollars and split it three ways." And Stephon's held a grudge with Bellator I mean, for was, two years. There, I think there's two factors there. One, I don't think that was the zone, right? That was before they made this partnership, so you can't blame too much on them. But I will say, I mean, Stefan has a point. With the zone, you are going to be paying essentially a monthly fee or a yearly fee to, to watch Bellator cards like this one, which again, in even when Steph brought up that card, I was I looked at the card again, I was like, motherfucker on paper, I'm still paying 50 bucks for this again. Like, this is not a bad card on paper. I'm seeing a lot of names I recognize. Yeah, pardon me, Mark. Pardon, pardon me, Mark, Mark, but I told Stefan. I'm going to tell you right now, Mark saw Lorenz Larkin versus Doug, uh, versus Lehman said, yeah, I'm fucking in. There's a lot of Yeah, but Mark is forgetting that some of the fights he liked were on the free prelims. Th that's true, too. Uh, and I think, you know, it obviously didn't turn out to be a good card. And that's and that's the and that's the the, the roll of dice we always take when we do a pay-per-view. And that price is a little bit higher. You know, we've we figured some things out and that's a high price point for that card. I agree with Steph with the. Um, holding off on especially on the zone because i think when we were talking about it earlier too stuff you're like i'm really not getting into the boxing thing and i think that's kind of their big money maker is they have a lot of boxing cards and i'm kind of like i don't 
I, I'm a boxing fan. I don't ever seek it out, but when it's getting blasted on my YouTube channel, I'll be like, hey, let me check this out. And then I start watching stuff. I'm like, you know what? I like, I like good boxing matches still. And they're putting on boxing matches. So I'm not sold yet, Bobby, because like I said, 20 bucks is just... I mean, look, if I can like have multiple streams going at the same time, and like you and me can you and uh, me and like you gotta do some. Uh, let me let me let me ignore Stefan here. You and me and Mike can can like split an account. Maybe I'm in for like thirty three bucks for an entire year. That's like three bucks a month. Let, you know that like would make sense to me. They have a PS4 app. I'm a lot more willing. I mean, th then again, we all got fucking hornswoggled here. Our five way split of ESPN Plus because they said five streams at a time, and then they change it to three streams at a time. I'm like, I feel I should get my money back. Whoa, what the fuck, ESPN Plus? <laughs> yeah. What I'm a little shocked with the zone is, um, in my experience historically with all these streaming services, they start at their best in the beginning and then they slowly get stingier and more expensive. The zone is starting high off the jump, and that's what kind of caught me off guard. Well, Mike, Mike had it when he was in Japan, he was telling me, because he was still paying for the 10 bucks, I guess, because he never stopped paying for it. Because I guess in Japan, that was the way of watching. UFC, just sports in general. It wasn't just like uh, fight sports, I don't think. Um, but yeah, I they gotta. I'm getting close enough that I want. Like I'm interested, right? And I think that's that's another takeaway we need to take too. Is that at least they're getting halfway there, right? Now we're interested. We're having a conversation about it. And I think when they first started, I was like, I'm not gonna pay twenty bucks a month for Bellator cards. Forget it. Now I feel I want to give them credit because I feel like their YouTube channel is putting out good content that's actually making me like get more interested in potentially buying into the product. Enough so that when we talked about it earlier today, I was like, let me just see how much this is because I'm I've been watching stuff on YouTube. I've been enjoying it. Maybe I want to support, you know, this fight app. Um and then I saw the price and I was like, well that's 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 too high for my blood. You know, well, even, I mean, even it, splitting it up is still like that's a lot. I that's a and there's a lot of other streaming services that are coming out soon which I'm getting Disney Plus. There's no and Stefan asked me like, "Oh, I don't you're going to get some I was like, "No, no, no." That's that's just another ten dollars I'm paying on top of all the other shit. If I get the zone, it's like now I'm also getting Disney Plus and the Netflix and the Hulu and the man, VR. It's adding up. It's all adding up, man. I'm paying fifty for YouTube TV, which was fucking forty, and then they added like we added all these channels. It's going up ten bucks. I'm like, can I not get those channels? Can I pick what channels I want? And you charge me a dream, a prorated rate here. That's what it was when we started, and now I'm just and I'm just like I'm paying for cable on the internet now. There's a whole bunch of channels I don't want. Um, I'm paying fucking 16 bucks for Netflix because I got the 4K one. Dude. That shit's gonna have to change. I'm gonna have to drop that. I'm gonna have to go back to like you know peasant Netflix. I'm still on the one dollar Hulu plan. Oh, that's good. Uh, I'm paying. I'm pay we're we're all split. We're all splitting a, a five five way split of ESPN Plus. That's a dollar each. Um, what else is there? Uh, my brother pays for Spotify. I don't have to pay for that. God bless. <laughs> Oh, I canceled. Gonna w I you're going. You're going to go back to network eventually, Bobby. I canceled WWE network. network. I canceled WWE Network because of their support of the Saudi government, and also because man, it's just shit's getting expensive. <laughs> I'm being honest. Things are just getting expensive. Anyway, um, something I want to talk about because uh, Chael Sonnen retired, and I'm gonna get the man. I mean, Chael's a, a complicated character in MMA, um, mostly because of the cheating, and also because he'll just say shit. And I'm not that honestly. If the last five years of Chael saying stuff, I didn't blame Chael. I blamed anybody who believed Chael. Okay, at a certain point, you're like, "Come on, man, he's just making shit up. He's entertaining people. He's just ripping off superstar Billy Graham up there." But Chael was up there talking about how he made his father a promise that he was going to win a world championship, and then he and he came up short every time. And I don't think this means anything to him, 
But I don't think I'm alone when I say Chael Sonnen was the last WEC middleweight champion. Just because Paulo Filo showed up six pounds over and drugged up doesn't mean he can keep the middleweight title. Chael Sonnen showed up in weight and won a decision. This is just me. I thought Chael Sonnen was a W, was the final WC middleweight champion. And giving the man credit for the career he has, Anderson Silva needed a foil. Anderson Silva was selling 14 pay-per-views. It's more than that. But Chael went in there, talked a mountain of shit, backed it up, and Anderson Silva became a pay-per-view draw. And, you know, Hulk Hogan needed Andre the Giant. Bret Hart needed Shawn Michaels. Andre, uh, Anderson Silva needed Chael Sonnen. And he's a good commentator. This is neither here nor there. He's good on the mic for, like, fight analysis and stuff. I like it when he does that. So he's going to be around forever. But uh, man had a career, and he's going into the UFC Hall of Fame just, you know, based on selling one point like five million pay-per-views a couple times. So Yeah, I mean, I think a bigger takeaway than just him not getting that title is, like, this dude really picked up his career from the bootstraps and made a name for himself because no joke about it. Chael Sonnen was journeyman of journeymen before he had that Anderson fight. And with a boring-ass fight, right, Marcus? He, with a boring-ass fighting style. Nobody. He was literally... I remember... Okay, okay. I remember I used to play this MMA simulation game. It had all the Pride guys, all the UFC guys. There was two fighters on there I never fucking heard of. And one of them was Chael Sonnen. And not even after that, I didn't know about him. For years after, I didn't even realize who he was until much later in his career. And now he's a, he's a household name. You know, he really, while a championship may have eluded him, he used his charisma to build a second career off of. And that's extremely difficult. And not a lot of people have that kind of, I don't even know what you call it. That's that, that, that kind of it factor, right? Like he was able to really grab the mic and look at, I mean, was he stealing a lot of shit from pro wrestling? Absolutely. But you can steal a line, but you can't deliver it with the kind of bravado that he did and back it up with the confidence and swagger that he did. And it was really impressive just to see this guy where, you know, his skill set, he's a good wrestler. He's a, he's a good wrestler who works hard and get wins that way. You look at his record, and it kind of reflects that, right? I mean, he has a winning record, but there's a lot of losses throughout there. Yeah, he, um, Marcus, the impressive part is all that shit talking started before the Anderson fight, right? And that Anderson fight... The first one was August 7th, 2010. Man retired nine years later. He got nine years out of this. Like, of nine years of like, I'm not saying he was going to retire that year, but like, I don't think he's getting paid what he is nine years later. You know what I mean? Like, he extended his value and shelf life, quite frankly, with what he learned, what he figured out about promoting fights. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm in complete agreement. You know, I think... Obviously, he never got that belt. He never really rose to the occasion, as you will. But he he really made something of himself, and I think you can be proud of that. You know, it's not. I'm I'm sure he wanted his athletic prowess to get him to the top, but just being able to make a career and then have a backup career is extremely important. And there's some fighters. There's a lot of fighters out there that have won the belts and they couldn't make that transition, and now they're in really deep financial strains. You can look at a guy like Mark Coleman, and we love Coleman. He's a great guy. He was a tough as nails fighter who really had to fight tooth and nail to make the living that he did and now he's having trouble paying medical bills right and that's really shitty and i wish this sport took better care of these guys but and that's why i always stress when these guys retire i hope they have some kind of way to make money still because what happens so often we've seen it even with chill chill retired earlier and came back but he didn't do it under the guise of 
I need to make money. I have no other way to make money and support myself anymore. I have to go back to doing this. This is all I know how to do. Um, he did it because he just loves competition. He's a competitive guy. Yep. And even retiring here, I'm not going to be surprised three years from now when he's 45. We damn well know he shouldn't be fighting. He still takes some kind yeah, of they, 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 If he cut Chael Sonnen a check, I mean, you tell him to fight that guy. Here's some money. He's going to do it. And I don't even That's know a- if it's the money necessarily. I think it's just he but has he's a, he's a prize a lot fighter. Of these guys do. Like, and, and, and it's not even just the itch of competition. It's the itch of getting in front of that crowd and, and, and being the superstar again, right? Being being the bride at the wedding. All eyes on you. Everyone's screaming and hollering to see you again. That's a feeling you just can't get again. You know, you can't be a commentator. The commentators don't go out in the center of the octagon or the cage and get cheers and, and lavished in the praise. You do when you're a fighter, and that's a tough thing to walk away from. Hopefully, Cheryl can do it. I, I don't mean, need to see him get beat up anymore. And this fight was tough on him, too. So, Shit, I mean, you're right, Faber. No, obviously, exactly. probably not hurting for money. He's yeah. coming back. Wants the retention. Um, I think they to- hold out long enough. Uh, Anderson doesn't seem like he wants to retire. So Anderson, he'll keep getting older and crappier, and we're gonna get that trilogy, baby. Chael's gonna get, get him. Even it up. Stefan, a man who owns a that Chael happens. nose shirt. There's, there's if probably I'm not a mistaken. couple trilogy fights. I think it's like the Jackson Silva one. Eh, maybe not a great example. Where it's like age just. It, oh no! It was Tito, Tito and Chuck. Age and time eventually that playing field where Tito was able to take advantage of that. So yeah, I mean, Tito, Tito was out there on Twitter like like mocking Chael in his retirement and stuff. And I'm just like, Tito, he didn't have half the name you did, and I guarantee you, Chael printed money two times over what Tito ever did. Tito's out here fighting for Combate Americas, like for a guy who was like the like one of the first real like famous people in this sport. Tito never got it, man. He just didn't get it. It's what needed to be done there. Um, we talked, Mark. You mentioned it since you brought it up about fighters having a plan for afterwards. We were talking about it earlier today, where um, someone we don't even we don't even like that much, to be honest. I mean, Brendan Schaub, how like he's got like a whole career of like half being a stand-up comic. He's got a show on Showtime, um, which isn't bad, by the way. This might be not really liking the guy, but like it's just good to see a guy like. You know, he was done fighting, and sure, he had the advantage of, like, knowing Joe Rogan and probably helped with the comedy career part, but, like, shit, the fighters being able to transition to a new role, it's always good to see. Yeah, never going to hate on a dude for pivoting, right? I think that's great. I think that's what all these fighters need to start thinking about, because the sports, this sport literally chews you up and spits you out. That's, like, this is what this machine does. Like, you're going to get old, and some young buck is going to take that name, and you're going to be left with, you know, if you didn't plan right you know pocket with no money in it and a skull full of fractures so you got a plan you got to think ahead stefan um i'm not sure if you remember this but there's this moment my favorite chael sonnen moment is from uh one of the press conferences for the anderson fight and tiago alvis is sitting next to him laughing his ass off at everything chael sonnen is saying ripping on anderson all that stuff but uh Ariel asked Chael something about his, election, his election, and Chael's like, I got 100% of the vote in that election. And then Ariel goes, isn't it true you ran unopposed? And Chael goes, yes, that is true. And I thought Tiago Alves was going to start crying. That is still, like, my f- Chael was very self-aware of what was going on. Let's just say The other thing is, I always kind of felt like, you know, he, he's definitely a controversial character due to a lot of things that he did inside and outside the cage, you know, so he, he's, he's always going to be controversial in that regard. But, um, yeah, I, anyone who hated Shale, I thought, you don't get it. You don't realize what he's doing. It's, uh, I think in Reddit terms, it's called They Ate the Onion, right? 
It's yeah, uh, exactly. Clearly, it's clearly satire, and you are just thinking, "Is this real thing?" You know, like we like nowadays we all we call it the Conor McGregor effect, right? But really, this is the guy who kind of introduced that super over the top, very pro wrestling promo style. I mean, one of the lows for me was when he really started going for this, like. He wasn't that big at the time, but the dude outright verbatim jacked it in a season sorry joke about teleportation. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, Shale, what are <laughs> Like, that is some Mr. Fantastic reaching for the stars level reach of shit talking right there that Shale did. But you know what? I respected him for just, he was going for it. Um, sorry, my little dog is pissed at me right now, but yeah, I had fun with it. I, it was. I mean, it was. It was a good time, man. We we was still one of the funnest experiences was watching him fight Anderson live, and you know him telling the story about the Nogueira brothers trying to feed the bus a carrot. I mean, I, Bobby, that remember, is. Do you remember how angry I was at that card? Oh, you were so angry! Like, it was like in twenty three minutes we went from booing the hell out of Chael, cheering Anderson, and then all of a sudden in Oakland, California, we're gonna bust out the USA chant. Get the fuck out of here, <laughs> Oakland, California. <laughs> <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, yeah, so if he doesn't come back, because this is a the couple times Chael's retired. Marcus made a good point there. Um, and uh, if he doesn't come back, happy trails. Put him in that bullshit Hall of Fame the UFC's built. I think somehow the UFC Hall of Fame might be more legitimate than the WWE Hall of Fame. Someone that's suggested, saying it, suggested it, Bob, and I really think it is the career move of moves for him, um, especially with how interested they have been in random MMA talents. If Chael becomes a heel manager in pro wrestling, a la a Paul Heyman, that is such a fucking perfect role for him. I just, yeah, there's no problem with that at all. I'm, a, I'm still one of those people who thought that, like, Dana's going to retire one day and Chael should take over. And I'm like, that's a good idea. Chael could do that job, no problem. No problem, I think. Chael could do that job. I love but, both of these ideas. I think yeah. you could slot him in in either of those and he would do a fantastic job. Man, I saw Dana. We, we've been talking about, like, everybody recognizes Dana kind of looked checked out of it recently, um, last year or two, pretty much post uh, Endeavor acquisition of the UFC. And I'm like, he's probably calling it a day soon, right? Nope. Dana, like, 10 year deal extension. 10 year extension. You want to know why? IPO, motherfucker. IPO. Dana's not a moron. Dana's going to get paid. Marcus? I mean, yeah, we, uh, we rag on Dana a lot, but I, Watching his old vlogs, remember when he used to do those vlogs before they did like the embedded? Mm. Like, that is not an easy job. That is not a envious job. I mean, it looks fun as, as all hell, but that is, it looks like it's 24 7. You just think about all the events they have. I mean, he's aging horribly. Around. Yeah. So, I mean, burnout seems fair, but I mean, Bobby, like, like you mentioned, it, it also makes sense that he's going to want that big cash out. Even though, I mean, when you think about it, it's like this dude's already cashed out like pretty big already. Yeah, you know he's what, made, man? He's made turning a boxing fitness coach into being the president of UFC very, very lucrative for himself. But, I mean, look, you, you want to get those stock shares. I mean, that's going to really solidify a financial legacy for him, I guess you could say. But uh, Do you know what I noticed? Um, this is kind of related to that. Is um, There's a lot more, less stories about MMA fighters and unions and all that stuff. And I remember Ariel talking about this on his show and ben folks has talked about it we're like the fighters will complain to the media about why aren't you doing this for us huh. why aren't you pushing the agenda and they were it seemed like for a while but i think like the mma media is just like none of these fighters are going to do something to help themselves they all let leslie smith go out there die on the vine they let cajun johnson get worked over they let all these shit come and go and you saw them sign a 400 million dollar tv deal 
and the fighters getting a guaranteed a penny, the parent company is gonna IPO, and not one of them is gonna get a fucking cent of, of a penny of that. And I don't even I don't blame the like. Why would they give? They're not they're not asking for it. Why would they just give it to them? So here we are. Yeah, it, it's really we all po- we pointed out this podcast for at least two years. It's really sad because both the things I both my hobbies I love the most have the same fucking issue. Their employees or independent contractors are work to the bone, and they both need to union unionize. And I'm talking about uh, MMA fighters and athletes and um, video game developers. They face, I mean, they face very different struggles, but the same issue where they need representation to get on the bargaining table to. For developers, it's not to have crunch, to have better working conditions, to get paid a lot more than they do. And for fighters, it's to have more contract rights to get a piece of the pie. And these are both, Bobby, you you make such a good point about like, they just made a shit ton of money making this deal. Video games are the highest profit entertainment of everything, of, of music, TV, film. They make the most money of everything. And both of these giant successful endeavors the people that really make it happen don't get paid shit and get treated like shit. They both need to unionize, and it's and the same things happen in video games. There is Kotaku and Jason Schreier is really as far as I'm concerned, he's the only video game journalist left. He's the only one that breaks stories about crunch, how these publishing companies and the top brass and developers basically build this culture around crunch where people have to work incredibly long hours and not get paid sometimes. And they both need representation, and the media can only take you so far. They can they can put a spotlight on the issue and get the public like us kind of in a fervor about like this needs to change. But the people that really need to get it moving are the fighters, and for the developers, it's the devs. They need to get together and unionize. And the reality of that is, it's a, incredibly tough to build a union. It is not nearly as easy as we think it is because they would have done it already in both industries. So it's just yeah. a huge problem that I don't have a fix for um that needs to get fixed and who's gonna do it nobody everyone else is pointing at somebody else so it's real yeah i mean for me with the mma fighters i talked about it uh maybe six months ago where i was just like i was kind of done having sympathy for people because when anybody when anybody any anybody ever complains i want them to say show me the uh association card that leslie smith mailed everybody show me that you signed it show me that you did one thing to help your to 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 improve this because if you're just gonna bitch and we're all supposed to like public pressure the ufc into doing some shit like this is like i'm supposed to just enjoy this is entertainment like i don't sit here like you know word god bless the fucking nba players union and the baseball players union and the football players union and even the football players union is trash but like they gotta get this shit done this is supposed to be like you're not supposed to get like your fan base isn't supposed to like force this at this we point. can't do it for them we, we, we everybody said it we've all said it everybody's in favor of it you know i what do you th- i mean the ufc didn't even do anything to squash the unions publicly what did they do leslie smith got some tough fights and got caught after one loss like cajun johnson got some tough fights like you give me like i mean what did they do the ufc did not even squash it bjorn rebney showed up in one of them and killed him by himself it was anyway we're all way off the fucking point now. Talking about let's, talk, let's talk about... We talked about Bellator. What do we got now? Oh, there's a lot more to talk about Bellator. Dylan Daniels? 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 Daniels. His kid lost... The kid won with a uh, allegedly a torn LCL, so props. He fought some guy I never heard of. And I, I think the bigger takeaway here is uh, they had Horiguchi uh, come fight Darren Caldwell, Caldwell for kind of like unifying their belt. Or- well, this is what happened, Marcus. They agreed like, oh, for... De- 
they agreed that Darian Caldwell was going to go to Ryzen and fight for Horiguchi's belt. And if and if he'd won that belt, he would agree agree to defend it at least once per year in Ryzen. Okay. And in exchange, Horiguchi was going to come to Bellator and fight for Caldwell's belt. And the same rules apply if he won it. He would defend it at least once a year. We just learned that uh, Horiguchi is just better than Darian Caldwell. Yeah. We got two fights to prove it. <laughs> yeah, but I think this is kind of cool. I don't think this has happened before. Because I don't think when Reem... I don't think he was really actively defending one when he won the other. Like, was he really part of Strike Force still when he beat when he got the Ryzen belt? He might have been. He was never the Ryzen champion. He was the Dream champion. The Dream champion. Like, I don't. He never. I think he, he had he had all three belts at one point. He had the Strike Force well, belt, the K one belt, and the Dream. You belt. don't defend K one. You just win it. And you but he like he I mean, he just won the K one one like the yeah. earlier that month, didn't he? It was like beginning I, I of December. Remember, I think I think it was, but I'm not sure. But this will be interesting. It'll be really interesting to see a guy in one organization can consistently, maybe even if just once a year, go into a different organization where he also has that belt and defend it. I think that's really fucking cool. Stefan, I'm going to call it now because we've got enough. I've had enough Scott Coker in Bellator. We're about five years into this thing at least. Um, Bellator is TNA and is never going to be anything more than that. I mean, you bring up uh, Coker. Like, I barely... I, I mean, granted, I really don't consume much Bellator uh, content anymore, but, like, Coker feels like such a non-factor to me. Like, he seems semi-invisible. Am I wrong in that? I, I know people. some people don't like Dana Weish's brash bravado, but I don't like the other end of it either. I think you're right. Like, I need someone to kind of be there, man. Be there a little bit. Like, Yeah. I, I just feel like in the middle. they don't have an identity. You know, I liked early Bellator when it was the tournaments. You know, uh, Rebney was a scumbag, but he was on to something. You got to be different, right? There's not I enough mean, uh, bandwidth to be the minor league. Um, in MMA, I feel. I mean, to clarify what I'm saying here, TNA means TNA is a was a promotion that in wrestling that was founded shortly after WWF bought all their competition, and it just became the home of old WWF and WCW wrestlers with a handful of guys that you're like, oh shit, he might be good someday. AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Frankie Kazarian, Christopher Daniels, etc. In this regard, we're gonna go with Michael Chandler as the AJ Styles, you know. Some, I don't know. They got other, Eddie Alvarez and Samojo. You know, they got some guys. But you know what I mean? They got like, they got some guys, but effectively, what's the engine that's carrying this thing is the old non, non homegrown talent. Yeah. I, I would just say, um, to, to Stefan's point earlier, I don't necessarily think you need a head because Pride didn't have a head. The president of Pride never came out there and was like, oh, this fight's so awesome. I mean, you have to have some kind of mouthpiece. I agree with you, Bobby. You have to have someone that is. I'm the person communicating to the fans that's not actually in the fight. And for Pride, it was just Boss Rutten and Steven Quadros. I actually disagree with you because I think an American fight promotion, you need to be a promoter. And it's not the greatest example in the world, but this was a set forth with scumbag Don King. You need to be loud and sell fights. And, you know, you got that prick, that 100-year-old man that uh, is Manny Pacquiao's promoter who's a loud prick. We got Mayweather's his own loud prick. You need to be kind of like a loud. I'm not saying you need to be. I mean, Dana White's not on their level, but like you need to do some. You need to be a little bit of a carnival barker on some level if you're trying to convince people. I just don't think to part with their money. The president of your organization. That's fair. I that think you might can just be, get any dude to be chill. like, I'm your fucking PR chill. dude. Chill, chill, chill. We'll do a fantastic <laughs> job of that. I just don't think the guy that is like signing the checks and making the big decisions. I don't need to see them sell their shit. They get someone professional to do that. And that's why I don't like Dana White so much is because you're the president 
I don't need you on the fucking cover of magazines. I mean, to boost yeah. your own ego. That's not what I'm interested in. But I, I agree with you, Bobby. Having and Stefan, your, your points are still valid. I just don't think it has to be the president. You do need someone to fucking sell the events, and it can't just be the fighters all the time. You have to have someone saying, "Look, at I'm a n- not a neutral ground here, but I'm not this guy or this guy who's fighting each other. I'm a somewhat neutral party telling you this is a fucking awesome fight, and you should be excited for it." Um, I just I don't think it has to be the president uh, of the company, but it doesn't hurt. And I think if you could do it, it just it works. I don't think Coker is that guy. He's not the Barker, right? He doesn't want to be the guy trying to sell you the fight. He doesn't have that kind of charisma or that kind of um, screen aura to kind of like really captivate you when his face starts turning around. And he starts yelling like Dana does. But uh, you need somebody. And I think that that's part of the problem with Bellator is they don't really have that person. And each time they try to get a commentator to be that person they swap them out right their their, their booth has been kind of all over the place so i also don't think big john mccarthy should be a commentator he's smart but he doesn't really give me he doesn't i need, I need i need some pizzazz exactly he, he'd give it to you straight but it's not as as compelling i guess you can say yeah um you guys want to talk about this car, fight card that's happening this weekend a little bit this yeah, ufc card so, on it. yeah um we've i mean we've made this complaint for a couple of months now Stefan. now the fight's here we're just gonna keep giving Korean Zombie unreasonably difficult matchups. Huh? We can't give him one got like one guy that's ranked like twenty. I mean, if I could be yeah. a fight fan purist, I should love it, right? It means he's always in a fun, competitive, compelling. But you know me, I'm a giant Chan Sung Jung Mark. Like back when we wrote, uh, you know, articles for our site, that was my favorite thing I ever wrote a piece on was just the Korean Zombie. Um, and yeah, he. he I just want to see him win, you know, and obviously the higher degree of difficulty uh, you give him, the the ch- more challenging that is. But, fuck, right? It's going to be a good Man, fight. It's going to be a y- good fight. He had Yair, too. He had Yair before he decides that elbow. He had him. I like. I love Zombie. We all do. Um, this is a tough matchup with Moikano. We're not making official picks for this one. Seth, you were looking at the odds, though, right? What's uh, Zombie's not the favorite, is he? Uh, one second. <laughs> Oh, sorry yeah, about yeah. that i scrolled away for a second because uh, i was looking at the jones card but uh zombie is a plus 160 underdog with moicano at minus 185 favorite like it's not a steamroll you know it's not like we've seen a lot kind of more one-sided lines recently but um it's enough to give you pause and right it was not that long ago i was you know picking moicano against jose aldo that's the kind of hype this guy was riding um, he still yeah. he was doing he was doing okay in that fight too, man. It wasn't getting wrecked by Aldo. I mean, he did ultimately get knocked out, but you know what I mean. It was a, it was he's a good fighter. This is a tough matchup. I mean, yeah, definitely for that one. I think Aldo kind of surprised us, even though some of you guys picked him. Like he showed better than he had looked in recent times. I really like three round Aldo, man. We've talked about it a bunch of times. Well, on this show. I don't know. This analysis is all out the window based on his last performance, Bobby. So. Um, I mean, who, who beat his ass? Finally caught Alexander, up there. right? Alexander. Uh, that, he just got out. Never got out of first gear. That was yeah. a weird fight. That might have been the finally we've got the Jose Aldo got old fight. Um, and um, this is number three versus number five. So good matchup. Um, no, sorry, number five versus number twelve. I was looking at Aldo's ranking. Oh. I mean, he's number twelve, man. No. Come on, <laughs> Jesus! Like, give him a better matchup. Jesus, um, good fight though, Marcus. Just good fight. I mean, I. I never really got super hot on uh, Morcano, so like I, in my head, I'm like, I think Chung Sung Jung can get it done here. Like this dude's tough; he throws heavy hands. Uh, his last fight, like you said, he was doing really well until he got demolished in like the most embarrassing fashion. But he's a good fighter, and you know, are the wheels starting to fall off a little bit? I- I'm hesitant to say that. 
Um, but that, you know, you have to question after coming from such a brutal knockout like that, um, you know, just where's his head going to be? And this is, I agree with you guys, this is a really tough fight. And you kind of just want, especially after that last war he had, you want to you want to give a guy a tune-up fight. I love tune-up fights because I like squash matches. I like to see the, my heroes that I love and respect so much fight some dude who is not worthy to be on the other side and just have him smash the tomato can every now and then. It makes him. It makes can, him can we get Rudy fun. Bears out in this bitch? Can we get Rudy Bears? Bears. You'd have to cut like fifty <laughs> pounds, but he'd do it. You know, I, you know, open weight, man. Let's just see it happen. Um, and I like I like all John Lineker fights. Because it's pretty much an exercise in whether or not the guy can get off the cage. And if you get off the cage, you're not going to get hit by John Lineker. If you can't get off the cage, John Lineker is throwing those hooks like he's fucking Mike Zambides. Right, Marcus? They're all coming. Hook after hook. Yeah, he's he's really throwing them on. exciting fighter. And I guess he's too fought before, which I did not know. <laughs> uh, sure. Okay. Yeah, Lineker won and, that uh, time. He'll probably win this time. But Rob Fontat, he just beat uh, Pe- Sergio Pettis. So he's on a little bit of a hot streak. I mean, he did his fight before that. He lost to Rafael Sunsau. He beat Thomas Almeida. Rob Font has had a weird UFC career, but he gets those W's every now and then when he needs to. I don't think he's going to get it here, but it should be a good fight. Um, he says it's unofficial. I'm still rolling with Font. That guy has won me money twice. I like him. Well, we saw he's him fight live hands. one time. He's got good hands, yeah. and he's got reach on Lineker because we know Lineker's a small guy, and I kind of think the shine's coming off on Lineker. I feel like... He's about to kind of hit that tail slide of his career. I could be talking out my ass, he, or I'll be rubbing it well, in that font and knocked him out. I think John Lenker is just what he is. Like, he's just, whatever that ranking is, the, the, the talent might move in the division, but John Lenker's throwing heat. All right? That's it. He's going to barely make 135. He's about four foot two, and he's just going to throw heat. Um, you like Montana De La Rosa's fight here, huh, Steph? You think she's got a good chance against. Andrea Lee's crazy ass existence. I mean, it, it's a little bit of a war attrition, right? Just because being familiar with uh, KGB Lee's her recent story, you don't know where her head is at. Uh, you know her, uh, a strange husband, ex husband. I don't know what to call him. Arrest recently arrested husband. Um, Nine months on the lamb. He 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 was part of her training and coaching, right? So that means her her kind of camp is in 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 disarray, or it's you know kind of in. It's not stable, right? Um, and De La Rosa, she actually, you know, she didn't look like anything special in the tough season she was on, but she strung some ones together, and she's showing she's tough, she's durable, and she's getting better. And, you know, we were talking about this not that long ago, the women's division, right? There, It's still pretty new. It's still kind of pretty developing. So sometimes heart and aggression can really carry you through, you through a fight, and that's kind of how I've seen De La Rosa's uh, recent UFC run. Um, she's a pretty sizable underdog at um where is it uh at about plus 200 with uh kgb lee at minus 235 i mean that's a bit of a crazy line in my opinion but uh, i I find it interesting at least you know we're not picking it but i'd be interested to watch this fight yeah this is not bad honestly a lot of uh young fighters contender fighters to be or contenders to be i guess um real quick though you got i'm about to point out luis pena having one of my favorite nicknames in mma which is violent bob ross Really like that nickname, but do you guys see who he's fighting? Yeah, that, I I, I, I did uh, it before, but I was muted. This was the fight I was most interested in because Matt Weinman hasn't fought in since 2014, and he's coming back. Oh, okay. He's coming back. I mean, who is Pena? Who's a tough out? That's not, not even just that. Fight. Do you remember Matt Weinman's last fight when he had no walkout music, he had no sponsors and no banter. He was no longer handsome, Matt. And I was just like, what just happened to this guy? He had some type of breakdown where he just cut every like aspect 
of like you know the whole package like it was bad it was weird i, I forget i read i read an article about him like a couple months ago and they're like oh yeah he's come back to fight and like i don't i can't remember what i read about like why he was gone for so long like he just kind of hung it up it, it, it's weird it, it's an extremely long layoff yeah i mean like to give you some perspective folks his last fight was against isaac valley flag who holy shit i haven't heard that name forever the fight before that was tj grant like, that's how long it's been since Matt Wyman fought anybody. He's only 35, too, after all that. He some back injuries. He was supposed to have a fight in 2015. He had a back injury. and he was For four years? Was he well, a traction? Well, that was like, you know, he. the fight was going to be in March 2015, and then he got hurt, and that was it. Yeah, weird. A yeah. long, long layoff. But, uh, and, and like I said, uh, and like you said, Bobby, not only does he have a great name, but Luis Pena is actually, like, he's somewhat of a prospect. This is a tough return fight for a dude that, that, the they made him uh they made the guy move up in weight uh okay, yeah, he, he didn't make weight last time huh yeah he didn't yeah, make weight a couple times bad, I huh? yeah okay i like that man if you don't make weight move your ass up yeah. it's the way it is that's a good fight out here super interesting yeah. in that one it's gonna be on espn too so i'll have to fire yeah it's not bad um if you got nothing going on this weekend check that out um decent card god matt pena is a huge underdog i might mean uh matt wyman is a huge underdog He's been gone for five years. Almost yeah, Jesus. He hasn't fought, so. I don't think, I don't think Luis Pena has been minus 400 ever. Ever. Yeah, probably not. Um, um, yeah, let's, um, I mean, we got any other fight news. Let's talk about stuff we like here. Um, I saw CJ Dillashaw's interview. It was with Chael Sonnen. He went to the right platform for that. I would say got, you're in you're in familiar territory there. Well, Chael said it's like, oh yeah, I took the same drug you did, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, okay. No, but then like TJ's like, I just did it the one time, and I'm like, yeah, see, I already don't believe you. I don't. In the interview, they did they turn the camera to Chael, and he just looked directly in the camera, like, come on, bro. Like Jim from the office. I cheated more. We all cheated a bunch here. Let's get. I'm like mother. I'm 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 literally like talking back to my computer. I'm like. You were accused of EPO like four years ago, <laughs> but okay. Um, all right, stuff we like. Um, Marcus, uh, do you want to lead this off? Yeah, sure. Go e- um, let's go full E3 with this thing. Yeah, no, I, I was not here last week because as I am one to do every year, uh, E3, I, I attest it to me to be somewhat of a religious holiday for me. Um, and I always take the time off to watch all the press conferences and just kind of soak in the vibes um, and th- this E3 was very uh, was very different. There was no Sony. This is the first time Sony has not been at an E3. Um, and more and more of the developers just aren't showing up at the event, event or even holding press conferences. So what I want to do real quick is just kind of go over the press conferences, how I felt about them, and really the big games that came out of E3 this year. Um, so the first press conference kind of was on Saturday. Um, EA usually has a big press conference. This year, they opted to go a day earlier. Actually, it was a couple days earlier, actually. Um, and instead of doing a big formal press conference where we have people speaking, we show a trailer, um, they were just streaming. And um, it's probably a smart decision. This is also a weird time in the uh, video game generation consoles where we're slowly getting into the next gen of consoles that are going to be releasing in 2020. So a lot of games are kind of in limbo. A lot of devs that haven't already been working on a project for a couple of years are probably making stuff for the next um, the next generation. So it's kind of going to be a lighter year this year. We kind of knew that going in. And E3, the only I mean, EA, the only thing they really had to show was their new Star Wars game coming from the Respawn uh, development crew over there. Um, called Star Wars uh, Jedi Fallen Order. And uh, this is one of the games I was most impressed with at E3. This is a single-player narrative campaign um, where you're basically playing as a young Pada- Padawan Jedi 
in between episodes uh, three and four, and uh, after Order 66 comes, where basically the Empire kills all the Jedi. So you're one of the last surviving Jedis, and you're kind of just trying to make do or whatever. We don't know a lot about, you know, where the story arcs are taking place, um, but we did see in their extended 15 minutes of gameplay. Um, do you guys remember who Force Whitaker's character was in Rogue One? He was some type of, like... Saul, like Saul, Saul, Saul Guevara, Saul <laughs> something. <That> sounds, <laughs> he, he made a cameo in this gameplay. So we, we were already seeing some of the characters in the, uh, you know, the cinematic universe, if you will, um, bleed into this game. And, and really, I was just impressed. Visually, it looked great. Um, people that got hands-on with it said it controlled really well. And it just looked like they did a good job kind of... Um, enabling the jedi powers into like a single player game we've seen this before they had um you know last generation there was star wars force unleashed where you played as uh, darth vader's young apprentice and, and that and that game kind of had middling reviews and, and it's it, it's early to say this game might fall into that same loop where it really doesn't set people's um you know dreams on fire or whatever but um i was really impressed with it i thought it looked really good the rest of ea stream was kind of hot, hot garbage and this is a good reason why they didn't have a press conference they really didn't have anything new to show they mostly had updates on current games that were already out like apex legends um the sims 4 stuff like that um stuff that isn't it's cool if you're a big fan of that and you get to see the new season for apex legends but it's not these aren't the things you show at an e3 press conference so it was probably smart they went this route, ultimately disappointing. They didn't really talk about a lot of new projects they're working on. So that was Saturday. Um, Sunday is really where things really got. Marcus, uh huh, yeah. Was is that Fallen Order? That yeah, Jedi Fallen Order. Is Mark, that only? Uh, is that only PS4 or Xbox? Mm-hmm. PS4 and Xbox. I mean, we're not going Switch, basically. No, question. not Switch, but PS4, Xbox One, probably PC too. I'm not totally sure about PC. But All right. Probably. I was just to say, Mark, you're talking about the wrong Star Wars game for your audience, Bobby. There's a new Lego Star Wars game that's oh, open world. Man, I didn't movies. Are you, dude? In- I, I, I fell off, man. That was that last. Um, what's the one for the Switch that came out? Marcus, help me out. I own the game. Was it but Force Lego? Le- or did they do like a no, no. Um, Marvel oh, superheroes too. Said you dropped yeah. off. Um, I, I haven't seen a ton about the new Lego Star Wars game, and at, at first glance, it kind of because they've already done episodes three through six. And in episode seven, episode seven had had its own game. This game is going to be all nine episodes. And, you know, at face value, it looks like, okay, we're just retreading a lot of the same material you already played. But from what I heard is they redid a lot of that stuff. And they actually changed, That's good. They changed where the camera is. So, Bob, remember how it's, it's more of an isometric? Your camera's kind of up high and you're looking down. Yeah. Now they've taken more of like a, a traditional third-person action game where the camera is more behind your shoulder, which, I mean, could, could potentially make these games a lot more interesting. And I think they are reworking stuff. I think they're redoing the cutscenes, so they're not going to... They started Lego used to do a thing where they didn't have voice acting, so they had the the cinematics were a lot of kind of miming stuff, and there was a lot of kind of like weird physical jokes they did, and it seems like they're kind of going back to that, which I think might be a good move for them. Um, but I heard a lot of positive things uh, about that game, which at face value just seemed like it's just a rehash. It's just like they're remaking a bunch of games they already did. I mean, they, they did they did add well, from the original Lego Lego game because Lego Star Wars were like the first ones that like hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were the first Lego games in general. You were able to do far more stuff as the games. They made more and more games. They actually added like right. new gameplay abilities. Yeah. yeah, new gameplay mechanics. Which they applying those alone would make those games more fun. And that's kind of what I've kind of heard is that like these aren't just like oh we're just porting these old games. Like they reimagine them in a way. So that 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 really makes that um that product a lot more compelling than it seemed on face value. Um, but going back to the press conferences, it really kicked off on uh, Sunday and. 
the first one on Sunday was Microsoft. And with Sony not being there, a lot of people thought this was their E3 to make a big splash, to really make a statement, because they didn't have a lot of competition. You know, uh, Switch is not really a direct competitor to Xbox because they don't have the same lineup of games because, I mean, Honestly, the Switches can't handle most of the games third parties are making. So Xbox kind of had this E3 to themselves to really knock it out of the park. And unfortunately, they kind of boffed it a little bit. Um, their press conferences are never bad. They know how to make a compelling press conference when it comes to flow. They don't have any one person talking too long. It's a lot of trailers. It's a lot of, you know, let's not let's not put all our eggs in one basket. We're going to show a variety of games. I mean, the problem was they didn't have a lot of those oh shit moments. They had one big one. They had a couple big ones, but one really stood out, and it's probably the one that a lot of the people heard about. Um, they had a trailer for Cyberpunk 2077, which is the next big game from CD Projekt Red, um, who made The Witcher 3. They're seen as from a lot of people that are really into like you know video games and the industry. This is a top tier developer. Um, this is basically the pride of Poland. Quite honestly, literally, if you don't know this. Obama went to Poland and usually get a gift and they gave him fucking Witcher 3. Because he's like, look at all the shit we do here. This video <laughs> game is the best thing we could give you, President Obama. Here he goes, Witcher 3. And that's not a lie. That literally happened. Um, because they take a lot of pride in this studio. This studio is kind of the pride of Poland. And they make very compelling, high-quality products. Um, they had Cyberpunk 2077 had a trailer at Microsoft last year. It wasn't too surprising they'd have a trailer here as well. Um, what was surprising was at the end of the trailer, they revealed that Keanu Reeves will be um, playing the role of Johnny Silverhand, um, which in the trailer made it look like he's an actual physical character. Um, I found out later on through some videos and stuff, uh, Cyberpunk is an adaptation of an old um, tabletop RPG game called Cyberpunk 2020. In Cyberpunk 2020, Johnny Silverhand is a physical character that is actually alive. In 2077, he basically uploaded his intelligence or soul or whatever into an AI, and he's kind of your AI companion in uh, Cyberpunk 2077. A lot of people are relating his character to a Cortana from the Halo series. So it was a huge fucking stand-up and cheer moment when... Uh, yeah, Bob. I mean, he's Johnny... He's, what's his name? Johnny Silver? Silver or what? It's just like Johnny Mononic, right? Is that I'm, just, I'm, oh, I'm just saying, this is Johnny Utah. This is Agent Johnny Utah from Point Break. Are we just sticking with the Johnny theme because we all love Point Break? He also, in probably a close... <laughs> did you ever see Johnny Mnemonic? Or I can't remember what that fucking name Mnemonic. Called. Mnemonic. Yeah, I cannot say that word. I did not. What is okay. that? It, it's his fucking character. <laughs> and it's the shit. Oh, okay. More Fair enough. Leaning on because in that, in that uh, film... One of the weapons is they have like this like laser wire that they whip around, and that fucking wires in the game. So it's like they definitely looked at that movie and saw Keanu in that movie. Like, and, and another little we can tie this in nicely in that movie. I don't remember, I don't know if you remember Steph. There's a fucking UFC scene in that movie where Johnny <laughs> goes into a UFC, and of course it's it, it's in a UFC event. They have the old octagon, but it's not the UFC because there's like eight dudes in there, right? And Ken Shamrock's fucking one of them. You know he is. And he's in there <laughs> with Johnny, and they're like, this dude just jumped in our cage. We got to beat the shit out of him. And of course he beats the shit out of Ken and everybody. That not being said, that's more of the uh, the character arc. That maybe they, So when you're one of like 17 people who recognize the Ken Shamrock cameo that no one's actually talking about, you'll lose your shit in this game. Correct me if oh, I'm no, wrong. No, 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 no. That's in Johnny. Uh, that's in Johnny oh, yeah. 
Not no, when, when he's in just... Cyberpunk. When, oh. he's in, when Ken Shamrock has been captured. Oh, my pants right there. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I mean, uh, hey, wait, is that? No, I'll pre order that shit this second, okay? I'll buy the Ultimate Edition. That's like with a stupid case, I'm sure. I'll buy that if Ken Shamrock's in the game. But I was going to ask, correct me if I'm wrong. This is a multi platform game, right? It's not an yeah, Xbox yeah, exclusive. not Xbox exclusive. So that's so, why I'm like. Xbox greatest thing is not an exclusive. It's something right. and that and that takes some of the shine off their press conference, right? Like this is this was probably their biggest oh shit moment for the most people. And it was awesome. And it and, and Microsoft got that moment and got people to watch the press conference because of that. But at the end of the day, it's like I don't need an Xbox One to play this game. If I have a PC or a PS4, I'm already kind of set. So it's not going to move units necessarily. But it was a fucking awesome moment. And that's kind of what E3 is all about, is having these oh shit moments. And the more you can have, the better your press conferences. So that's kind of what lacked in uh, Microsoft, is they had that moment with Cyberpunk. They showed a lot of good games. They just weren't the caliber of games that really just got you super excited. Um, they, they talked about... Uh, uh, X Cloud, which is their cloud service. Everyone's getting into streaming and shit, so that wasn't too surprising. They talked about the next gen that's going to be coming in 2020, but didn't really say anything. I mean, they basically kind of made the same technical points that uh, PlayStation made with um, their... They didn't interview with Wire. They talked about how fast the load times were. And Microsoft basically just had a video saying, like, yeah, our shit's going to be just as good. Get excited. Didn't talk about what it's called. Didn't talk about price points. Basically, we're going to we're gonna see more of it later. It's going to come out in holiday 2020, which is kind of what we already thought. So a lot of the, the, the conversation after this press conference was that it was good. It didn't really just – it didn't blow our expectations out of the water. It didn't blow our minds. It wasn't the E3 of dreams that uh, Sony had many years ago. They talked about Shenmue 3, uh, Final Fantasy 7 and last guardian so it wasn't quite that so but it was good it just wasn't stellar uh so after microsoft was was bethesda and this was a press conference that a lot of people had a lot of interest in because bethesda has had a very rocky year this last year um and last e3 their big game that they showed off and talked about was fallout 76 which launched earlier this year and just had a shit ton of problems everything that could go wrong went wrong with that game from it just not performing well it not being super engaging People not getting the items that they ordered special editions for and then getting $5 in currency of game. Just like they made a lot of mistakes over and over again. And really one of the talking points coming into this was like, was Todd Howard, who's the president of Bethesda Development Studio, Game Studio, was he going to come out and apologize? Was he actually going to say, I'm sorry? Of course he didn't. And and it, it, would, it, would, it didn't make sense for him to because that you, crowd... <laughs> you watched this whole thing, right, Mark? Yes. So you saw the stupid, corny video, the We Are Bethesda? Like, that was their answer? That was their PR answer? That This this was a dud. This was a catastrophe of a press conference, in my opinion. Yeah, the, there was a lot of almost, like, sp spreading blame around, like, we're all Bethesda. It's not our fault. It's everyone's fault, including you, the player. It was just... It was a little tone deaf, and but they had a very warm crowd. And I think because... I think there's two realities. One, I think a lot of people in that crowd worked at Bethesda Studios. They were part of one of the studios, and they're excited to see their games talked about because they've been working on it, and they're passionate about it. And I think another part of that crowd were just people that are just hardcore Bethesda fanboys, and they just maybe don't see that company doing any wrong, even when they take missteps. And it, it, it made the press conference worse because every time there was a pause, anytime they announced anything, there was a big splattering of applause, and yeah! And it and it's good to have a crowd that is enthusiastic and responds to you, but it gets to the point where 
you can tell that's not authentic because they announce a thing that nobody knows about and some dude's like yeah that's what i've been waiting for and it's like dude this is a brand new thing how can you be excited for this or they just announce something that is not something to cheer about and then everyone's cheering and honestly it just it hurt the flow of the conference where everything just took longer than it should have um and they didn't have a lot of really strong games to show this year i mean bethesda is a publisher and they're a smaller one at that um but their big standout was um they do have shinge mukami i think i'm saying his name right this is the guy that made resident evil um he's big into the survivor horror genre he's been making their um evil within games and they thought maybe it'll be an evil within three um they didn't go that direction but they said like basically we're making a new project. We have a new lead. She's going to come out here and talk about the game. And she fucking killed it on Bethesda. Did you see that one, Steph? Did you see the lady who talked about Ghostwire Tokyo? The uh, really cute Japanese lady? Yes. She, yeah, she was, uh, she was the thing of meme dreams. Uh, she was a fun little personality. Yeah, she had a lot of charisma. I mean, honestly, very broken English that just played to making her look even cuter when she said, like, this game scary <laughs> it's just like oh you're so cute and adorable how can you make this really and honestly what helped too is they they only had a cinematic trailer it wasn't any gameplay stuff but it looks really compelling it is a horror game set in present day uh tokyo and everyone's disappearing it had a very end game kind of vibe where people are just disappearing and we don't know what's going on but that was kind of the big standout the big games they actually dived deep into was doom eternal and the wolfenstein games and those games are great and really cool and doom 2016 was a fantastic game and i'm sure sure doom eternal is going to be awesome as well they're just not the big games that you want bethesda to spend 30 minutes on you want them to talk about the next elder scrolls game or their next Starfinder game or one of these big meaty rpgs that you need 30 minutes to really dive into the mechanics and explain this world and what i'm excited about with doom eternal it's like you fucking like doom 2016 we just made it more fucking badass and it looks great but it was just it wasn't enough to make a super great um press conference so that was a little a little let down uh, but it, it was what it was i wasn't expecting a ton i'm gonna skip over devolver they're an indie dev, dev. they always make stupid crazy digital press conferences and it was what it was um there's only a couple more left i'm gonna go through real quickly uh monday we had ubisoft uh their big standout game they opened the show was watchdogs legion um i personally have always really liked the watchdog games i think they have some really interesting mechanics with the hacking um the first game was a bit of a letdown i did not get too far into it where i kind of bounced off i really enjoyed the second game i think a lot of it had to do with the open world being in san francisco and it even dipping into some of the east bay area where i'm more familiar with so it was really cool that, that was fun you gave yeah. that one Bob, did you ever play it they even had like a fake oracle arena with like warrior I, knockoff so bought, looking gear so I, I bought this game i had a good day marcus i'm not sure mark remembers this mark remembers this where there was like a sale at like on GameFly, where they were selling games for like five bucks, so I bought like four games, and I, I, I that was one of them, yeah. and I haven't, I haven't played any. It's though. a really cool one. But that's that's on the list. Yeah, and I, I, mean, I mostly <laughs> like that game because um, the hacking mechanic is really cool. You can basically do missions without having to shoot a gun. You can basically just hack everything, which I think is where I wanted this series to go. I wanted them to basically say like, okay, you know what? In this new game, you don't get to shoot guns. You're just a hacker because it, it really. It had a just a juxtaposition with the second game where you're playing as a kind of young kid who's kind of just trying to like fuck the system, but he didn't come off as a murderer. He didn't come off as a guy who's gonna have machine guns and handguns and start popping guys in the head. He his character is more of a guy who's like, I'm just a hacker guy, and it would make more sense if you didn't have those guns at all. 
they didn't do that in this next game, but they put in a new mechanic that works just as well for me, and I'm actually really excited. So basically, what Watchdog Legion is doing is it is set in London in the near future, so it's a little bit not present day, but somewhat future. And the big gimmick in this game is that you can play as any NPC in the game. Anyone you see walking around, you can recruit them to your dead set, which is kind of your hacker group that's kind of going up against the man, and they can do missions for you. And each character in the game has a specialty, and they have different, uh, you know, stats and stuff like that. But what makes it really cool and what kind of helps it where I had this problem in the last game where this character is not a killer. You can find a character, you can find an NPC who used to be a spy or used to be ex-military. So when they go into a mission and they start shooting people, it makes sense for that character to be handling guns and doing combat and killing people because they had a background in that. So that kind of fixes that um, for me in my RP mind where I'm trying to make this world make sense. Um, but really, the standout in this game is that, like I said, you can employ any of the NPC characters, and some of those NPC characters are elderly people. And one of the characters they showed in the in the game is now famously known as Helen. Her name's Helen. She's like a 73-year-old ex-cop. And you see Helen walk around, and she has the old lady animations. When she tries to vault over things, she goes real slow and but she's fully capable to do all the hacking stuff and to fire guns so you can get in shootouts with a seven-year-old woman and everyone's just talking about like well if i can recruit anyone it's going to be an army of fucking helens i'm going to have the old woman brigade just stomping around in london um the game visually looked great these new mechanics seem awesome um it was a bit surprising we did know that what this game got leaked we knew it was going to take place in London, and we even knew that the premise was going to be that you can play as any NPC. But actually seeing it in practice and definitely seeing the variety of characters that you can play as. So obviously we have this old lady that you can play as. I hope there's other character models. I want to see a really heavy set guy, kind of a fat guy run around and try to do vaulting over stuff. I want to see I want to see all kinds of different people that have different animations because I think that'd be really cool to have a varied cast of characters that all look and play a little bit differently so that game looks fantastic a couple other standouts from ubisoft um one of the ones i'm really excited about it's a smaller game but it's called roller champions and this is kind of ubisoft looking at games like rocket league and stuff like that and being like okay let's let's make a game kind of like rocket league where it's like a three on three pick up and play fast action and what roller uh, champions basically is it's roller derby you're three on three. There's a ball that you're trying to pick up. You get the ball. You have to do a lap around the track first. And once you do one lap, you can throw in the ball into a hoop to make a point. The more laps you do, the more points you'll get when you uh, score. And the other team is trying to knock the ball out of your hands. It's really simplistic, but it looks awesome. I'm really excited about that one. And then they're kind of what Ubisoft always does at the end of every press conference. They show you a game that's kind of like an, a game, an unannounced game that you don't know about. Um, that game this year was called uh, Gods and Monsters. It has a very uh, Breath of the Wild kind of art style to it, but it looks like it's taking place maybe more in a kind of like Athens, uh, mythical Greek kind of environment. Um, they, and honestly, they didn't show a lot. So there wasn't a lot to get super excited for. And that was kind of a theme going forward in a lot of these press conferences was we got some new game announcements. We didn't see a ton of gameplay. Marcus, this sounds like it was overall a fairly disappointing e3 compared to your how you're usually excited for. uh yeah, it was and we knew that going in because honestly sony is the press conference that i'm always the most excited for they're the ones that really blow it up and they're the ones that you know everyone's talking about they're usually the, the show stealer and uh, to be honest this sh this e3 was a lot more lax than other ones but there's still a lot of really fucking cool games coming out of it like i mentioned watchdogs was awesome cyberpunk looks incredible jedi fallen order looks great 
after Ubisoft, we did uh, Square Enix took Microsoft's place as the six o'clock Monday appointment, and they had a really good press conference too. And it really was just bookend by two fucking fantastic games. The first being Final Fantasy VII Remake, which I think is game of the show. This is the game that was playable, which is a big thing to be game of the show. and just looked amazing. Um, as someone that I mentioned, what, a month ago, Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy VII is officially my favorite game of all time because I bought it ten times. I am extremely excited for what I've seen with this remake um, and what they're doing with it. There's obviously been a lot of changes. Um, they announced in this press conference that we knew the game was going to be split up in multiple parts. Um, and this first part is taking place completely in Midgar, which is the first city you start the game in. And having just played Final Fantasy VII, that section of the game is maybe five, six, seven hours. So it's a decent chunk, but it's not super dense. Um, so for them to say this first game is all going to be in Midgar means they really have to stretch that part of the game out or really dig into stories that we didn't really touch upon. Um, so it's going to be interesting to just see what they do with that. But what we have seen so far has been stellar. Um, they basically in this press conference, they broke down what the battle systems really like. So we knew it wasn't going to be um, turn-based. We're basically waiting for your turn, picking an attack and doing it. It's going to be uh, real-time combat. So you're going to be playing as Cloud, I mean, all the Final Fantasy characters, but you actually control one character at a time. And what you're going to be doing is while you're attacking, it's going to be building up your um, active active time battle. I can't remember what ATB stands for, but it's basically this meter that you're going to be building up. And once you have that filled out, then you can actually pause the game. And this is where it becomes a little bit more turn-based, where you can kind of slow down time and pick, okay, do I want to do an ability? Do I want to use magic? Do I want to use an item? You have to build up this one meter to be able to do any of those three things. Um, so it looks like there's a interesting ebb and flow of how the combat's going to work. And I think it, it looks a lot better because instead of just having your character stand there for three seconds until it's its turn, you're going to be beating the, the enemies up, doing really cool um, attack animations, waiting for that meter to fill up, then to do your big attacks. Um, so they, they explained that they showed the first boss fight, which was the, uh, the scorpion mech and kind of the me mechanics we learned about in the first game. But this boss battle is a good example of what they're doing from the original game which was a very simplistic boss battle to really blowing it up in this game where this boss battle had multiple stages it probably took three times as long as the original and was a lot more cinematic where the the robots jumping around onto like the um the wall he's shooting off all these missiles he has all these lasers it was very cinematic very engaging um, and then their big kind of to finish off their little part of the press conference, they had a new trailer and they finally showed one of the main characters, Tifa, what that character looks like, not just in game, but they also had um, clips of her in battle and she looked fucking awesome. Her everyone's redesign has been awesome. I mean, really on the whole for Final Fantasy VII Remake, everything's been hitting the mark so far. I haven't seen one thing I've disliked and it reminds me a lot of the Resident Evil 2 remake where it's just like we're taking this game you love, we're making it look better. And we're making it even play differently. And that's going to upset people at first. Just like with Resident Evil 2. People were like, I want fixed camera angles. I want my old game just to look better. They're making the gameplay better for today's audience. And I think it's working. And I'm really excited for Final Fantasy VII Remake. They announced a date. It's going to come out March 3rd um, of 2020. Uh, that's a big thing. Because people were starting to think that this might be a PS5 game. But uh, yeah, finally on PS4. So that was a really big game they announced. Um, I'll just something. No, go ahead. And then uh, uh, Max's mm -hmm. re re video for it, Mark. 
yeah i want to see maximilian um he had a very emotional because behind closed doors uh, i mean if you went to e3 and you waited in the final fantasy 7 line you got to play the scorpion battle that's kind of what everyone got to experience behind closed doors they actually ran through the opening bombing mission which is basically the opening mission of the game and everyone that saw it just said man it's it's so well done. The character representation is so much better than it was in the original. Because Final Fantasy VII, as much as I love that game, uh, the translation is fucking god-awful. They did a really poor job. And, but, but the truth of the matter is, one guy had a month to translate this huge game. And she's like, that was way too much work for one dude to do by himself. So it's like it was an impossible task. And he, they pulled off something that was cohesive, but didn't really get a lot of the characters right. Um, so it's really cool to hear a lot of people talk about not only do they do a better job representing uh, Barrett, who in the original game just came off as like a poor man's Mr. T to make him more of like a full flush character. Um, but even the the side characters, Jesse, Biggs and uh, Wedge, who are part of this um, terrorist group that you join in the beginning of the game. They, they're really they don't have a lot of character in the game or even have a lot of importance. And it seems like they're really fleshing that out. So everything I've heard about the game just seems fantastic. It's exactly what I would want from a remake. And I think the down part is now that we know this first game is just going to be Midgar is just like, how long is it going to take to get this full game? And how many different consoles am I going to have to own to, to play them all? We don't know. I honestly have no idea. Square, well, you know it's going to happen. You're going to get this one on this generation. The next one's going to debut on the next generation. But before that comes out, they're going to re-release this one in the upscaled, upscaled PS5 maybe, version. Yeah, it's just, so you got to buy it a second time. This roadmap is getting a little bumpy, but if the quality stays at this high, I'm down. If they want to take three decades and give me one every decade, if it's this good. I'm totally for it because this this really looks like a treat. I'm really excited for this one. Um, they had I a mean, bunch of games. Is the, this is the Final Fantasy of the, this is the King of Kings. This is the Final Fantasy of Final Fantasies. Um, if you have any, if any, if they like, I don't need to say anything new. I echo everything Mark said. I'm super super excited. Yeah. This was the winner to me as well. Yeah, this, and I think this got most of the game of the shows for most of the publications. Um, the other big game they did show um, was at the end. This is one I'm just as equally excited for, even though Fervor on the internet is not nearly as excited as I am, but I am really excited for Marvel's Avengers. Um, we knew Crystal Dynamics has been working on this since 2017. They haven't said anything for a long time. We started getting little leaks um, before E3 that this was going to be kind of a um, games-as-a-service type of game, kind of like your Destinies or Anthems, which... I played those games. I never stuck onto them because I just never really dug their heels in for me to play them for a whole year. Um, but Marvel Avengers has has enough cachet with me, enough interest where this could be a game where I do that. Um, a lot of the fervor around actually finally seeing this game, and I had the same reaction. These faces don't look good, folks. Um, Ooh, it's rough. When when you, you see, see Bob. Yeah, did you see Avengers, sorry. Bobby? Yeah, sorry, I was muted. My bad. Yeah, I saw this. So it's, I don't know what the fuck I was looking yeah, at. Yeah, the first it was very weird. The first face you see is Thor because you see Iron Man first, but he has a faceplate on, so he looks totally fine. He actually the, the models look really good themselves. It's just the faces just seem off, and it, a lot of people are saying like, "Oh, they're trying to go for an MCU thing," but they couldn't get the likeness, so they kind of tweaked it. It's like whatever the excuses. The faces just at first glance seem weird. Um. At this point, after watching the trailer a bunch of times, I'm kind of already used to it um, because it also helps. I thought Peter Parker's face looked weird in, in Spider-Man. When I first saw Peter Parker's face, I was like, ooh, this face is looking a little jank. He's looking a little weird, but I just got used to it. And having watched this trailer a bunch of times, I'm super excited for the game. I'm already kind of used to them looking kind of weird. I don't need them to look 
super I, dynamic. If the gameplay's fun, I'm I kind of get it. If you don't mind me just chiming yeah, in, like Spider-Man, where I could accept it more, it wasn't copying the MCU. Right, you didn't look like Tom Arnold thing. at all. And that's, someone pointed out, I can't remember who, uh, I wish I could give him credit, but the weird juxtaposition is they're going uniform outfit-wise, they're going very MCU-inspired, but then the faces are so different, it's just creating an uncanny valley issue in a way Spider-Man didn't for a lot of people. Right. And um and people are you know upset about that and they have all the rights to I mean I was too the first time I saw Thor I was like ooh that faces but it's just something if you watch it enough you get used to the new faces you know they're not great I'm not writing home about it I'm not gonna say this is a game you buy for the faces but from what they showed in this trailer they showed very short glimpses of no HUD uh, no UI gameplay and the game just looks really cool and. It, it's hard to say at this point if it's going to live up, if it's going to be good, but I'm so excited for a game where I can play as all of these different Avengers. And the stuff they're saying... More than <clears throat> more than the Ultimate Alliance game? I, I'm excited for Ultimate coming? Alliance too, but if you watch that game, the graphical fidelity are just two different levels. And I'm, I'm also anticipating the story in uh, Marvel Avengers to be a lot more... Um, impactful and gripping because i think what happens with marvel alliance and why one of the reasons i love it um you have so many different characters so i think there was i think i there was one person made this um observation with marvel ultimate alliance they were playing as spider-man and they were talking to jessica jones and jessica jones is like oh yeah <clears throat> i think kingpin has one of the power stones and then spider-man's like who's kingpin because the character, whoever the character's supposed to be, is not supposed to know who Kingpin is. But Spider-Man fucking knows who Kingpin is. This yeah. Is the inconsistency of characters, and this is just that is that is the beginning of the video game. Right. Kingpin tuned my ass up. So I mean, you're gonna get some of that stuff, and also if you and I, I'm super excited about um, Ultimate Alliance. Um, it's gonna be the thing that fills in the gap until this Marvel game comes out. But um, you watch gameplay of Marvel Ultimate Alliance, and I'm like I said, I'm excited for that game. It is visual throw up all over the screen, and that's why each of the characters has to have has to be outlined with a color because there's so many lightning bolts and particle effects and storms doing hurricanes and there's bullets flying here. It is so easy to lose what's going on in that game. Um, they do have a new camera angle, yeah, supposed to bring it down low. Sorry, no, yeah, sorry, that was like that's been a thing from like X Men oh, Legends yeah. version. Oh, no. I mean, I remember like me and Stefan being the only like playing together and nobody else like. Because the CPU doesn't obvi- isn't as active right. with their yeah. moves as, a, and even then I'm just like I I've, I lose track of what was happening left yeah. and right in that game. Yeah, and they <laughs> haven't really fixed that. And then some of the other things I've heard that kind of took down the hype a little bit. I guess the big characters aren't going to be throwing enemies like they used to, and there's less stuff to throw. That's one of the things I loved the most about those games was just getting weird shit and just throwing it all over the place. But really excited for. Um, I used to be, I used to be Colossus and throw Wolverine's ass left and right in that game. That, that was the best. I'm part. not sure, but but ultimately, <laughs> um, Marvel uh, Marvel's Avengers is supposed to be a more high fidelity, um, you know, triple A game. Whereas Marvel Ultimate Alliance just isn't isn't trying to be that. Um, it's trying to be something else, which I'm equally as excited for. But it's just not trying to be that. I mean, I think counter to kind of you raising that game up, Bob. Part of what I'm really excited about with this uh, Marvel Avengers game myself is there's not a lot of superhero games that aren't just a brawler, smash and bash, beat them up. I mean, sure, those are fun, but there's really not a lot of depth there. Um, like, I it, it's good to plug and play, right? But I don't know how long I'm going to stick with it. To be honest, I could I could be tired of that type of you know. And then they're, they're party games. Those yeah, games. those are so, those are play games to play with other people. You know, that's one thing. It. What I appreciate so much about that Spider-Man game, right, is kind of the sandbox world. And it's like, why can't we have that for superheroes, right? There's so many games that are either more story based or they have just more 
in-depth battle dynamics. You know, we mentioned CD Projekt Red earlier in the Witcher games. I love the depth of combat in in their in their game, and I'm like, why can't I get a superhero aesthetic like this? You know, the closest thing that tried is like outside of the Spider-Man games is probably that Superman N64 game, which is considered one of the worst games of all time. I read it from Blockbuster back in the day. You know, um, so would you say, Mark? Me too. The the, the Batman games too. They're, they're, okay, there's only fair, really fair. been a handful of really good narrative driven superhero games, and it's basically Spider Man and Batman. The Wolverine Origins game, even though the movie was really bad, the 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 video game was actually not that bad. But a lot of the and what you'll notice in those games is that those are all one character, and that was always going to be the hurdle with the Avengers is that not only do you have multiple characters, but they're very different. You have two characters that can fly. And that just makes problems. Because if I'm going to play Iron Man, what's, you know, narratively my head just stopping me from just like flying away and going wherever I want, whenever I want. And I think, you know, they have to kind of face some of these problems. But I, I was just really excited with what I saw. Um, they spent a lot of times on the voice cast, which being a big Critical Role fan that I am, uh, two people from Critical Role, Laura Bailey and Travis Willingham, or. Um, voicing Thor and um, Black Widow. And a lot of people have also kind of complained about the choices for the voice acting, which I don't think is very founded because Travis and Laura have played Thor and Black Widow in the cartoon. So this isn't really a stretch to get them for those characters. They've been those characters before. I think Nolan North as... Um, I think he's Iron Man and... Uh, Troy Baker is Bruce. Those are a little weird, and those are two guys that kind of get all of the VO stuff. Um, but I didn't think their their voice acting was all that weird. And and the snippets of story that they told us was essentially Avengers are making a new base in San Francisco. Of course, why not? Um, and then things go astray. This new technology that they're using for their base um, blows up, and it kills a shit ton of people in San Francisco. And the Avengers kind of... It kills Cap, too. They basically kill Cap in the beginning of the game, and then the Avengers are kind of disbanded and something happens and they have to come back together and that's the, the basic premise and they had a little scene with tony stark talking to bruce and it was five years after and they kind of changed how tony looked he had long hair a bigger beard kind of like he'd been fighting depression and stuff and like stefan said i'm just ready for a new cool video game narrative Mar uh, avengers story and i'm really interested in the prospect that they basically said like this is going to be a multi-year game we're going to have expansions that are going to be free throughout the year. We're going to be adding new Avengers to the game for free. We're going to be adding new content for free. And I'm really, this is why this game being a games of service, since I'm so interested in the characters and the story that they're going to tell, I'm more compelled to stick with it than Destiny, which I didn't give a shit or know what the fuck was going on ever. The only driving point in that game was to get a cooler gun. And that's just not enough for me. Yeah, I, I, what always pulls me to finish games, and you guys know I play a lot of games, I don't finish hardly any of them. The ones I finish always have a strong narrative because that's always the best pushing point for me to continue playing a game. And if they're going to continue that with Avengers, then I think they're going to have a really great thing on their hands. Um, Need to wrap this up. I know we're going super long. Nintendo, they had a great press conference. They had Dragon Quest uh, Hero is a new character. Banjo-Kazooie, uh, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, is the big character that a lot of people didn't know if they'd be able to do because Rare basically owns them owns the banjo license um in between that we saw a new trailer for fire emblem new stuff for uh mario luigi's mansion 3 which looks really fun new animal crossing game and then they kind of ended the show teasing hey, that they're working mario olympics that's got party okay. that's got the new party game written all over it that, they, got, they got mario judo 
<laughs> we have it's Mario karate. It's karate, and that is what sold me because we've had Mario and Sonic at the Olympics before, and I never gave a shit about those games. And at the beginning of this one, I didn't really care. But they showed uh, surfing at first. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And they showed skateboarding. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Are these even Olympic events? I don't even, I don't think surfing is. I don't think skateboard is either. Then they showed fucking karate and they have fucking Princess Peach and a fucking gi throwing kicks at tails. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm intrigued now. And they showed boxing. They showed fencing, kayaking. I'm like, fuck, I, I'm kind of interested in this Mario and Sonic at the Olympic game. That was kind of the biggest surprise for me. I didn't think I, they could sell me on that game and I'm kind of fucking sold. Um, but the very last thing they showed was they're working on a sequel to Breath of the Wild. They showed a little uh, teaser trailer where it basically looks like Ganon is underneath Hyrule Castle and something awakens him. And now Ganon's back and fuck, we got to do it all over again. Um, and a lot of the rumors that people are kind of circulating and hoping for, and I'm one of them that is really hoping that, for this, is that you're going to be playing as Zelda in this game and maybe you have to save Link. I think that would, one, it would make a lot of sense because if you play as Link... After Breath of the Wild, it's like, dude's got a Master Sword, he's got the shield, he has all the fucking weapons, he has all the hearts, he has all the stamina. It's like, there's really not going to be much character possession if this dude just fucking has all the shit already. So it makes sense if somehow Link is incapacitated. And it looks like that in the trailer, he has this weird glowing arm thing that was stopping Ganon, maybe that took over his body. And it would be really cool because a lot of people... I've been kind of upset that there's no female representation in any of the um, Zelda games, which is funny because her name's Zelda and she's a female character that you never get to play as and is always often uh, gets confused with Link, who's the character you actually play as in the Zelda game. So that was a really cool reveal. Um, overall, like we mentioned before, um, Bobby kind of alluded to, this was a weaker year for E3. Um, and a lot of people have been saying E3 is kind of on its dying legs for a while just because... It's, it was really a show that was meant to get the heads of Walmart and Target and EB Games to check out games and then make shipment orders for Christmas. That was really what this conference was. All that shit happens basically at the end of the year instead of now. So it's not really facilitating that. Um, it used to be this is where all the press comes, but people have kind of learned like, well, you can kind of just launch a trailer whenever you want. And people are still going to gobble it up. Um, so a lot of people are kind of thinking like, oh, maybe E3 is on the decline. I hope it's not. Um, I don't think it necessarily is. I think you can't you can't just go to it, right? Uh, you the last couple of years, you can buy tickets, but they're extremely expensive and it's not worth it. They, they got they got to get more Comic-Con with this thing. man. Uh, they got to they got to they got to. I agree, to that Bobby. I think opening it to the public makes a lot of sense. This is what Gamescom, the German game show does. They basically have three days for press because this is what you don't want to do with that, Bobby's because. People in the press need to be at E3. They need to look at all the games and write their stories and shit. And if you have 20,000 people in the arena, it just becomes a nightmare for them to get through. Um, so what they should do is have a couple days for press to do all their shit and then have public days. And that's where you sell tickets to the public for not astronomical amounts that they are now. And you, they need to rework the um, the event too because right now what it is is you you'll buy your your two day pass for like 300, 400 bucks or something. It's like really fucking expensive. And the lines are so insane, you're gonna spend one day waiting in line to play Pokemon. That's all you're gonna do. Yeah, I mean they gotta they gotta find a way to yeah, make it more they, they make, Yeah, I totally agree. And that's they're they're running into issues where it's like, oh well, this event is really expensive. We have to charge the publishers a lot of money for floor space. And it's like, well, why don't you just let the fucking public in? There's a lot of people like me that if it was affordable and I could get tickets, I would go just to say I went to E3. Because this has been a huge convention that has not been open to the public until very recently. But 
right now for the price point that they want for the tickets and what you'd actually be able to do, it's not worth it. You, I mean, and this question comes up on all the podcasts I listen to. They're like, people ask them, oh, should I try going to E3? And it's like, you really shouldn't. You're not going to get much out of it. You're going to spend a lot of money. And the only reason why you do it is is to check it off your bucket list and say, I've been to E3. Hey, uh, one of you gentlemen, Stefan, turn off your microphone. Okay, we're getting some crackling out of that thing. Just a heads up. Uh, well, now you're both muted, so I can't I might tell. be fidgeting. Uh, but that's it. That's E3. Oh, two more things super quick. I know we're going so late. Uh, Batman vs. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, animated uh, Warner Brothers movie. Very good. I also saw The Dead Don't Die, which is a Jim Jarmusch movie. You guys ever watch Jim Jarmusch movies? Yeah, he's fucking They're, weird they're fucking weird. The movie is really fun. He does characters. He writes characters extremely well. There's just some fucking jokes and gags he puts in i was like this was not needed this is not this wasn't that funny and it didn't make your movie better it just made it weird for weird sake but i really recommend it definitely check it out stefan you got anything this week uh, i do but this was the e3 episode so i can save it for another time because we're going way I'm too sorry. fucking long uh, yeah said, I, I while it's timely i'm just gonna say it not stuff i like but stuff i'm proud of it's a snowball's chance in hell a single one of them would ever hear these words from me but anyone who does listen i suggest you follow the story um stay strong people of hong kong fucking respect the level of their protest and their commitment to their cause um hope they stay strong See, we should have ended with Stefan, because this is better than my quick 30-second thing. I sent you guys this thing in the group chat, mostly because I want you guys to have a point of reference when I chastise one of our all fa- one of our favorite I've wrestlers. seen it already, Bobby. <laughs> okay, real talk. I'd, I mean, if nobody saw this, man, uh, New Japan had a show, uh, Dominion, I believe it's called. Um, it's kind of like their SummerSlam, is my understanding. Um, and then Kota Ibushi, just a handsome son of a bitch that we all love, uh, had a match with uh, Tetsuyo Naito for the New Japan Intercontinental title. Man, there's like all these jokes on the internet that have been there for real about how like Abushi hates his neck. You know, it's been a joke on like wrestling websites for years because of Abushi's willingness to get dumped on his head. He took a, I want to say dragon suplex that was or something where the side of his head hit the apron. And it's just like, I don't need to watch somebody die in a ring especially in a fixed sport where everybody has control over what's happening. Like, come on, Coda. Like, you know, what? what's Kenny going to think, man? Like, just everybody, let's just be cool, yeah, man. Meanwhile, Michael let's just dial- was like, that best friend slot is going to be nice and open for me. Oh, uh, and then, yeah, and real quick, Fighter Fest was announced as free, which makes me very happy. And, yeah, that's really it. We'll talk about Yuka uh, Sakazaki as we actually get closer to that event. You're right, Bob. We should end with me. (laughs) Yeah, we should have ended with Stefan shouting out the people of Hong Kong where 18% of the population shows up for a protest. Holy fuck. (laughs) Like, it's it's something like that. Isn't it like one in seven? One in six? Like, something like that? There's a billion people over there. It's like like 1.8 million out of like a population of 7 million showed up for this fucking thing. So said, this is all the respect. This is the protest of my lifetime. I can't recall yeah. a bigger unified single movement than this. Like, you know, there are pockets all across America, but this was this is one fucking movement. You see those overhead shot cams of Hong Kong. That is like a zombie horde of people fighting fighting for something incredibly important. I support their cause. Um, like I said, you know, everybody does. Props to Hong Kong. Yeah. Um. All right, guys. This was a really long episode. Sorry. Quick note. I apologize for the very large file the last week's podcast 
came up as. I'm sure those of you subscribed were really enjoying the 60 megabyte life we had going on for like a month. Back to that this week. Just a brief uh, glitch in our recording software. And that glitch is I was not paying attention. I recorded it in much too high of a quality <laughs> than was necessary for me and Mike to talk about, to take turns blowing Henry Cejudo for an hour. Um, but yeah, this podcast should be good. Um, we'll be back next week. We're going to see if um, Korean Zombie keeps pulling it out against these tough guys. Seeing if John Lineker gets it done. Seeing if Montana De La Russa gets it done. Seeing if Matt Wyman, if it's the same guy. I'm assuming it's the same Matt Wyman. It's been five years. Could be a totally different guy. Just a different guy named Matt Wyman. Could be fighting this Saturday. We're going to talk about all that. We're going to preview a fight that should take about three minutes between Francis Ngannou and Junior Dos Santos. All that stuff. And I'm going to pick Damian Maya. See you all next week. Thank you all for listening. Peace out. Cheers. Cheers.